From the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. The Craig Needles Podcast here at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca, where wherever you get your podcast to, and of course, the Craig Needles Podcast is powered by our friends over at the Covent Garden Market and downtown London. We are joined in studio today by uh, a couple of people that want to talk police budgeting matters with us, and that's the big thing going on in the city right now. Uh, so the chief of police, Ty Trong, has been kind enough to join us here, as has Ali Jabbar, who, of course, is the chair of the London Police Services Board. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being here. Hey, Hi, Craig. Craig. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you guys? Thank Good. you for joining me. Thanks for having us. Before, just to paint a picture for your listeners, uh, Chief is sitting in Cheryl Miller's chair right here. So <laughs> when Craig said, hey, you can stand, go wherever you want, I said, I, I don't, uh, there's a lot of energy on that side of the table there, Chief, just to let you know. So, <laughs> Well, we'll see. We'll see how you do in that chair. Uh, try not to swear as much as she does. Uh, <laughs> there's, no, there's no seven second delay here. Yeah, Cheryl's well, it, is, it is the internet, so we can swear, but yeah. you know, she 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 takes advantage of that policy. Uh, let's uh, let's uh, let, let's get to the the issue surrounding the budget, and this is six hundred and seventy two million dollars over four years. It's far and away the biggest item that the city of London has on the budget process, which will be finalized or at least close to finalized this week. So uh, I'll, I'll ask you first, Ali, and then I'll I'll get the chief's take. Yeah. When Londoners say, hey, what am I getting for that $672 million? What do you tell them? Yeah, we understand when I say we, the board, right? Yeah. It's a transformative budget. It's the largest bu- largest budget ask that we've, uh, I believe, any police services uh, board has ever made, right? So that's a natural question. If you're out there, a Londoner saying, hey, well, what are we getting for that, right? So uh, you almost have to go back a couple steps, Craig, to, to answer that question. So it's really what's the inception, what gave rise to this budget request. Uh, you look at things like our response times. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, uh, they're, I don't know if I want to use the word abysmal, but they're, they can be. They're better. not. They're not good. They're not like, good. And like, we we've seen the numbers. I've seen the reports. Right. They're they're not good. And they're you're lagging like, behind other comparably r- sized cities. Right. If yep. you're doing if you're doing kind of looking at the metrics compared to other. Uh, similarly sized municipalities across the province and the country, you see that our response times, and Chief can talk about this more authoritatively than I can, but Code 2 and Code 3 response times uh, are lacking, for lack of better terms. Uh, When we're talking about our cop-to-pop ratio, uh, Mm -hmm. right, the number of officers we have here per uh, 100,000 residents, again, we're below both the national and the provincial average. And so uh, when you look at... and, and. when you look at a whole host of things, I'm not gonna, I could spend five minutes just talking about kind of those indicators. Uh, it signaled to us as a board that we need to we needed to make an investment in in the city uh, and in the London Police Service. So yeah, it's six hundred and seventy two million dollars. It's a big number. It's a big ticket number. Uh, but we're looking at getting new technology, more officers, uh, training center, and a whole host of other things uh, um, that will. Um, with new leadership uh, and under the vision of Chief Trung will all culminate in uh, markedly more effective policing for the city of London. How is it going to be more effective policing, Chief? How, is, how, how are we going to say, okay, we've got 90-something more new officers and some other civilian personnel. How is that going to translate from, okay, we've got these people to policing's more effective in London? Yeah, that's a great question, Craig. And uh, let me just first paint the picture that uh, as my job as the chief of police, my job is uh, community safety and public safety of this, of this city. And um, community safety is the number one priority uh, for myself and for everybody in the organization. We can't get to community safety. We can't make this community safe, as safe as possible, 
if we don't have community trust, all right? So community trust is a priority for us to get to community safety. And we can't get to community trust or community safety without ensuring that our organization, from a wellness perspective, an infrastructure uh, place, and our members are doing well, we'll never get there. So this budget involves those three priorities to get to make sure that our community is safe. If you're asking me what the city will see, what the citizens will see, they're going to see the police when they call 911. You've already spoken about it. The chair has spoken about these response times. And I can tell you as a chief of police, I am not happy with these response times whatsoever. The citizens here that live in the city, that work here and that play here deserve to see the police when they call. When they call 911, we need to be there. And right now, if it is life and death call, nine times out of 10, we'll be there in nine minutes and 31 seconds. I can tell you that urgent calls, nine times out of 10, it's over seven hours wait. And non-urgent, non-emergency calls, you're looking at four and a half days, nine times out of 10. Sometimes you're looking at weeks and what is really disappointing is that citizens just hang up and cancel the calls. And that's not something that we should be proud of whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So this budget ask encapsulates all these issues. It is going to reduce response times. The citizens in the community here will see police more in the community, in the residences or neighborhoods, in the business community. They'll see more police on the roads to make the city safer. You are going to have the citizens feel safe and be safe. Now, I know that you've seen the same reports that I'm talking about. And these are academic studies, and I want to ask you about it first, Ethan, and I'll ask Allie about it, mm-hmm. that would say the number of police officers doesn't necessarily correlate with a lack of crime in a community or, or, or safety in a community. Now, I understand that the number of police officers definitely does correlate with response times, but when you see those reports and you, you, you've heard that pushback from within the community saying, okay, more officers doesn't necessarily mean we're safer, what do you say to that? I would say... I'm legislated legislated to, as a chief of police, to provide adequate and effective policing. And the functions that I have to ensure that I meet is crime prevention, mm-hmm. assist victims of crime, uh, enforcement of crime, maintaining public order, and being uh, in a position for emergency responses. So all of that doesn't go into the study. Mm-hmm. Right. And I talked about community trust. Well, that study doesn't speak to when the community is calling or 911 calls come into place and um, there's an emergency involving an infant or a young child. One would say, well, that's not a police response. Why are the police responding to, you know, a child, uh, a life and death situation, which we get all the time. And I can tell you that the majority of the times we get there faster than fire and EMS. And all that matters is we just need to get there to help. And when the professionals and the experts with fire and EMS get there, we turn it over to them. But we need to get there when when the citizens call. That study doesn't take into that account. The study doesn't take into the account of um, individuals that are um, being hit on our streets, pedestrians that are being mm-hmm. killed. Um, motor vehicle collisions where people are being killed. And I've already said previously, we are at an all-time high. We've never had this these 
this amount of deaths occur on our roads. Mm-hmm. And it's not good because when people have family members going to work or coming and going on our streets, they should feel confident that those family members have come home. This was actually going to be later in the interview, not in the, but just since you better I'm going to ask about it now. Uh, how will these officers that you want to hire them, if you're able to, to, to get the budget to hire them, how will that impact traffic safety in the community? What's the plan mm-hmm. for that? So right now, one of the biggest problems is our, our, our deployment model, our um, service delivery model hasn't changed for the last 20, 30 years. It's essentially been the same. So it may have worked 20 or 30 years ago, it's not working now. We are we have grown exponentially. That's no secret. Everybody knows that the city has grown dramatically, but the policing services have not. There's been an underfunding of this police service for decades. And now we're at a critical crossroad and we're seeing it with the amount of people that are dying in our streets that are preventable. Our officers are not in a position to conduct road safety enforcement. So the service delivery model that we have currently involves, essentially, I'm trying to speak really high level here. Mm -hmm. Our frontline officers do everything from start to finish. Unless there's certain mandates or certain investigations where true expertise and skill sets um, are required. They essentially do everything from start to finish. The problem with that is, and I'll, uh, I'll give you an example of, um, you know, an intimate partner violence investigation. Mm-hmm. We get roughly 17 or 18 intimate partner violence calls a day. So 17 or 18 a day, they're intimate partner violence related. Of those 17 or 18, on average, four of them result in arrests. All right. That takes a lot of time. It takes expertise. Now, if I just focus on the amount of arrests that we make involving intimate partner violence, that's hours and hours that our frontline officers are not on the streets responding to 911 calls, having the ability to interact and engage with the community and be proactive. They're in our headquarters. They are conducting interviews. They're canvassing for witnesses, potentially drafting judicial authorizations, doing a lot of paperwork. That is our current model. With the new service delivery model, with this budget, it is going to put those officers back on the streets. Mm-hmm. So when we have investigations, especially you know intimate partner violence investigations, sexual assault investigations, assaults, anything persons related, that'll allow our officers to get back on the road very quickly because the new officers that are coming, part of this budget, is investigative teams supporting the front line. So these investigative teams, they need to be trained. They need to have the um, proper investigative training and experience to conduct these investigations. So they're thorough investigations, proper investigations. Right now, our officers are working so hard. You hear this all the time. You know it. Our frontline officers are overworked. They're responding. They're going call to call to call to call. We're not investing in the training of these officers. They need appropriate training. If you're investigating intimate partner violence investigations, sexual assault investigations, the public deserve to have fully trained investigators, fully trained police officers. We need to do a lot better with training our frontline officers. So that is why this budget request is coming in. This is going to assist us with getting the right investigators to investigate those crimes that require 
investigative capacity. And our frontline are not the ones that have that capacity right now. They need to get back on the road to be forward-facing and respond to these 911 calls and when the, when the public are calling for us. Well, uh, put a pin in that for just one second because I, I want to ask you, Ali, about the uh, community safety aspect of this because safety is a word that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So what do you think a safe community means? How would you define that? Well, it's funny. The, the word that Chief said, and I think you said it too, Craig, was trust. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, safety is a subjective term, right, in the sense that depending on maybe a whole host of factors, you know, maybe socioeconomic factors, maybe looking at other different types of demographics, maybe looking at where you live in the city. Right. How you, quote unquote, define safety uh, may 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 differ. But the word that the chief raised a couple of times there was trust. Um, And one of the things that stands out for me is that if you're, you know, if you're a resident of London, you need to have trust in the police in general. And you also have to have trust that when you call the police for an emergency, for whatever it is that you're calling the police for, you have to trust that the police are going to be able to respond. And so one of the things that the chief talked about right now is response times being a code code two response time. I think you said it was about seven hours, chief. And then a code three was four, four and a half, four, four and a half days, yes. I believe, right? Yeah. So how many people, when, when they're facing that situation, Craig, go, um, forget it. I'm not even going to call the police. It's kind of like when we've all been in this situation where it's like, I, I, I think I need to go to the emerge, but I don't want to go wait there for eight and a half hours. Maybe I can just, you know, uh, you know, uh, figure it out, figure it out own, afterwards. You know, I'll, it, I'll go it, see a doctor right. Monday, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. We, we all know that's not an ideal model mm-hmm. for healthcare delivery, right? The fact that you're saying, well, I know it's a service that's accessible to me and I could access it, but I don't want to wait. It's the same thing with the police uh, in the sense that we should, there should be a trust factor that there shouldn't be a single Londoner that goes, should have this thought to go, yeah, I think I need to call the police, but I, what's the point? They're not, it's going to take four and a half days. I'm not even going to call them. Right. And so, so that, that's one of the, one of the aspects in terms of what I think a safe city is to actually have trust in, in the police, but more specifically, Craig, uh, on the streets, uh, our, our fatal motor vehicle collisions, uh, have increased dramatically. Well, why is that? Well, uh, Chief can talk about this better than I can, but we've had to pull officers off the street to deal with more f- uh, frontline emergency mm-hmm. matters, which means less officers on doing traffic enforcement on the street, which means that we've all seen increased mm-hmm. incidents of street racing. We've all seen more reckless driving, and we actually have empirical evidence, empirical data that shows that there has been an uptick in the last four to five years. And I'm not talking about data from 20 years ago. If you go to 2018, right, and you look at the number of uh, motor vehicle uh collision deaths versus 2022, I think is the most recent data we have, Chief. Uh, It's increased dramatically. Well, okay, Uh, have drivers become progressively more worse in that time? Well, maybe it's London, right? But but no, you can see specifically that there's a direct correlation between the lack of traffic enforcement and the increase in motor vehicle collision fatalities. So Mm -hmm. safer streets, safer neighborhoods, um, downtown business um, uh, in the core and other parts of the city have talked about, you know, safety and perceptions of safety, right? Which are similar, but not necessarily exactly the same. Uh, so uh, this, this, this is part of kind of that, part of that analysis where, yes, we're talking about a lot of money. Yes, we're talking about more officers. Yes, we're talking about all of these things, but they all collectively work towards the end goal, which is having a safer city for everybody. You mentioned, you know, things going on in the downtown core. And I yep. think that that's a big part of what we're talking about here. How would more officers change the core in your estimation, Chief? Yeah, so with the service delivery model change, we're going to be in a position for our officers 
to be more visible in the downtown core, but not just in the downtown core, they'll be more visible in the community overall. It's going to allow our officers to be engaging with the community, right? Um, with this ask, there's, there's 20 community support officers, and these 20 community support officers are not sworn officers, they're civilian officers, but we'll be able to offload some task and lower risk jobs and duties of police officers for these community support officers to handle. That is how we're gonna make sure that we're ready for when the police have to respond to 911 calls or more serious calls. So, so you're the, talking about just like walking a beat up and down Dundas type of thing? Is that kind of what we're, what we're looking yeah, at here like, essentially? Okay. So I can tell you, I'm excited. Mm -hmm. I'm excited um, if this budget is supported by city council. I'm excited because I know the citizens here are going to see a marked difference. Across the city, you're going to see more police officers that are visible and engaging. Our officers want to engage with the community. Our officers want to walk the beat. There's no reason why just the downtown core should have foot patrol. Mm -hmm. We should have the ability to do foot patrol where is needed, where there's, where there's high areas of crime or where there's spikes in crime. But even from a pre preventative standpoint, there's a lot of citizens that want our officers to be seen either on foot or even just driving through um, their neighborhoods. And we can't do that right now. This is what is so important mm -hmm. about about the budget. And I'll just speak about this piece as well that we, we typically forget. Community trust is crucial. It is crucial. We don't have a police service without community trust. Everybody knows how strongly this administration and I feel about community trust. We forget that for me as a police chief, I need to make sure that the city is safe now. How are we going to get the city safe now? But I also have to think about the young generation and the young kids that are coming up and that that will be here when we're not. And what is so critically important is that if we don't build the trust and these kids see the police in a positive light for their first time versus the first time seeing us and hearing about us in negative lights, we do a disservice to these kids as they get, get older. Because if they become victims of crime or they're exploited in any way, if they don't have trust with us then, how are we going to expect them to come report to us or come ask us for help? We've seen this. That's why it's so important that we invest with our community as a police service in our youth, crime prevention programs, community engagement, you see it, our officers want to do that. That's a very, very big important piece of being a police chief here and making sure that there's a structure in place for us to do that. Uh, and I, I think that the, the structure obviously needs some work. I think most Londoners would agree, okay, response times are bad, the, those need to be fixed. So there are a couple of ways to go about that. One is hire more officers, and I think that most people would agree, okay, we can hire a few more officers. But there's also make it so officers have to attend fewer calls. Where do you stand, Chief, on, and I know that some politicians talked about it, but it hasn't become a mainstream thing, have some sort of mental health call service that wouldn't be the police where someone who's a mental health expert can go to some of these things. Because when we talk about safety in the downtown, as an example, a lot of those issues intersect very closely with mental health issues, right? So where do you stand on having someone other than police officers attend some of those instances? Yeah, so I'm, I'm agreeing with, with you. Our officers should be used when the when we're needed, right. right? So what are the efficiencies? And that's what this budget is allowing us to do. You see it, trying to find the efficiencies, reduce 
the officers' times and call and, and frequency of calls mm-hmm. when there's better ways to respond yeah. and to modernize. That's part of it. So there's a narrative out there that, you know, if we reduce all the mental health calls, uh, the police will have all this time. Yeah. Well, what if I told you, right? What if I told you from our, um, our data, and this is something that we need to um, make sure that we're capturing the best data and the most accurate data, but what if I told you we average 10 calls a day in relation to mental health responses? 10 calls. Now, what if I told you of those 10, we average four apprehensions of the 10? Right. Right? And if I told you an apprehension is a minimum of two officers that require 10.4 hours on average time that that officer is now off the streets waiting with that individual in crisis. So when we make an apprehension, it's because there's a danger that we believe to that individual himself or to the community. And we believe that that individual is suffering from a mental um, illness or mental health crisis. That's why we have that apprehension authority. So if it's only four, and I don't say it's only because that's actually a lot of officers and a lot of times, but if we're responding to 10 calls that are mental health related, but we get 200 deployments daily. So work with me here, okay? 200 calls where officers are being deployed on average yeah. every day. So it's 5%-ish of the calls. Exactly. So there's a narrative out here that the, this is all the police mm-hmm. are doing. No, this has taken a lot of our time. We want to make sure that the right, re, right people, the right professionals, the right community groups are assisting with these calls. But when you have four calls every single day on average, you can't just send a social worker out. We have to be there to protect because there's a danger to those frontline officers. So that's really six mm-hmm. calls a day. We're aware of that. We're trying to find efficiencies. We have efficiencies that we want to um, lay out with this plan. But remember, 10 calls Mental Health Act related out of 200 deployments. Right. There's the other side we need to think about because community are often using this or not having the full information. So that would suggest if police officers only took away responses to mental health related calls, that would suggest, so the narrative I heard the other day, okay, take away all the Mental Health Act related calls and crime would would go down. Well, that's, you know, that's that's not an accurate narrative because the, the, the people with mental health issues and need help are not the ones responsible for the shootings that right. we're having in this city. Historic, unparalleled, the amount of shootings we've had in the last three years is ridiculous in this city. Mm-hmm. The, the people with mental health um, issues are not the ones on our roads driving the vehicles, striking pedestrians, and getting in these collisions that are causing deaths, mm-hmm. right? So it's one piece that we need to think about, and not everybody has the full picture and, and the understanding. So I'm with you, absolutely. Divert calls that police don't need to respond to. Our officers 
want to respond to where they are best utilized and needed. And if they are needed in crisis situations, that's where they mm -hmm. want to be. If mental health professionals are the right people to assist and provide support, absolutely. That's where we're working really closely with the community for this piece. But this is just one piece. One more granular question. I want to get to a, a, a bigger thing I want to tell you about. Uh, the aspect of poverty and how that works into this. Obviously, people who are in poverty, uh, there are phone calls to the police about them, depending on what's going on in the street, depending on what they're doing. And sometimes they're committing crimes, sometimes they're not. But how does that work into how you want to deliver service to the community? Because poverty is obviously a massive problem in this city right now, as, as you're very well aware. Yeah, it involves, so it involves partnering with our community and that involves community trust. That involves the whole priority of, of community trust. How do we increase our partnerships? How do we continue working with all the great community groups and all the great people in this city that want to address the root causes of crime, right? We're with you, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you, if we don't fund the budget, we won't be able to do that. There's a piece for police in all of this. I've said time and time again, community safety is a shared responsibility. We cannot make this community safe just on the police alone. We have to work with our community. We have to work with all these amazing groups and organizations out there that are doing their best. There's a piece here, but remember, as a police chief, I have to plan for the future. And I would be a terrible police officer and terrible police leader if I wasn't keeping in mind the growth of the city, the fact that we have to make sure our officers are trained for high density policing and vertical policing. That looks very different than what it is here. We have to plan. Nobody is talking about, nobody has to worry, okay? So nobody has to worry about um, the increase and the rise of active shooters. I have to be aware of the of, of this trend in the United States because typically you see it in the United States and then you see things that come north. And I have to be prepared for that. It's not for anyone else to think about, but I got to make sure. Would gun laws not help us out there a little bit compared to some U.S. states? Like as far as they have stricter gun laws. Uh, we, we have stricter gun laws and they do that not help us yeah. out a little bit there? The problem is, yeah. is all the guns that are being seized yeah. in London usually are coming from are coming yeah. from the United States and yep. they're illegal guns anyway. Yep. So think about it. Criminals don't abide by the law. No. Doesn't matter. Right? So we still got to be prepared for that. So these things I have to think about for this city. So when we're talking about training, when we're talking about investing in resources, I have to be mindful of this where the average citizen only is thinking about right now. I need to think about five, 10 years down the road because we have an international airport here that we all also are responsible for, but that's not the citizens and the community's responsibility. That's my responsibility. I, I understand that. And there's a few other big picture questions I want to ask you, but I want to ask Ali one first. This is about where this fits in with the city's budget because 672 million dollars is a lot of money obviously as we've discussed and we can uh, we talked about why you guys think that it's, it's it's worth the money however there are going to be people in this community that say hey they're talking about closing my library branch hey they're t i want a different bus route that goes from here to there and it's not going to happen and, and ltc feels they're underfunded and there's ads on the buses about ltc being underfunded we've got some counselors pushing back obviously on the police budget here was there anything that when you saw 
what the chief broad team, what administration brought to you that you saw, hey, you know what, maybe we could cut this or maybe we could cut that. Was there anywhere where you said, maybe there's a spot for some savings here as you were going through the process? No. No. There wasn't. Uh, the board and I spent weeks and months on this budget. We went back through this thing. We went line by line. We had conversations with the chief. We had conversations with the deputy chiefs. We had conversations with finance. We had conversations with <laughs> consultations with the community. We did We did one of the largest uh, budget consultations that we've, uh, that I think that's ever been done with the London Police Service, uh, over 300 public input consultations. We talked to individuals. We talked to business owners. We talked to community organizations. This was a collaborative uh, uh, process. Um, and I know, like, uh, th Craig, uh, I've known you for, for, for a long time, and I mm -hmm. know that uh, people uh, have raised the the lav uh, yeah. as an example. Let's right? talk about well, the Well, let's lav. talk, right? Yeah. I think I knew where it was coming, yeah. right? So, so well, I want to talk about the training center, too. Let's talk yeah, about the lav yeah, first. But, but, yeah, but, like, so, so people say, well, do you guys really need to spend $480,000 on a lav, right? Or do you guys really need to spend this money uh, uh, in this area? Here's the thing. When the chief of police comes to us, right? And I understand it's natural that people look at it purely from a budget line yeah. impact perspective, right? Well, that's a lot of money, I understand. But there's also the operational side of it as well, right? And so when the chief comes and says, because I'll be honest, I asked about the lab when we were when mm -hmm. we were having it, I said, do we, do we need this lab? How often do we use the lab that How, we currently right, have? Right, so you gotta look at it from the perspective that the board, the seven member board, we're, we're a civilian oversight board, right? And so when we ask these questions of the chief and the deputy chiefs, I asked these same questions that people asked as well, and I said, Chief, do we do we do we actually need this lab? Is this something that you know? Can we maybe 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 we need it, but maybe we want to push it a few years down the road? Is this something that we? And when the chief gave us, you know, what, chief, you can give the response that you gave to me. But when he gave the response, I'm like, yeah, you know what? That makes a lot of a lot of sense. Talking about how London is the fastest growing city in Ontario, it's the third fastest growing city in Canada, right? And because of we have this rapid growth in in the city, we've historically gotten by with, you know. Uh, one lab, but now we need to contemplate scenarios where we need to have two of them, right? And the reason being, and there, there's a real life example that you can talk about, Chief, much better than I can. Uh, and maybe I'll pass it to you in a second to talk about it. But uh, uh, but there's also another component to it, Craig, which is, I understand, we understand that it's a massive budget request, right? $672 million. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's big money, right? And so there's three kind of concepts that were core to me for this. So we talk about metrics, we talk about transparency and we talk about accountability right so there's no part of me that says all right hey city council you know you know we're asking you to approve this budget because the city needs it and then it's like okay well we'll talk to you again in four years well no we need to have we need to have these uh, mechanisms to ensure that there are metrics and how do we define success how how do you actually define that okay you've received this money how do we actually define to see that there's a measurable impact on to your word what you said earlier the safety of the city of London. Okay, well, we, we need to find out. So we need to find out, have response times actually come down, right? One year, two year, three year, four years from now. Mm -hmm. uh, what about the call, number of calls in the queue at any given moment, yeah. right? How, I'm gonna be asking both you guys about this in a year, uh, I promise well, you. Well, but, yeah. but, but you know what? You're gonna be asking us, but yep. the board's gonna be asking the chief, right? right? Yep. And Because we, we're saying to the chief, all right, chief, we, we unanimously approved this budget at the London Police Services Board. It's now going to council, hopefully, for, for approval uh, you know, in a week's time. Okay, if we just operate under the assumption that it's approved, okay, um, now what? A year from now, two, what's, what does the city, what are the measurable impacts that you can do a year from now? What are the measurable impacts that for two years from now? What's the thing that 
four years from now? What are the, like, how do we as a community, how do we as Londoners, how do we as a city, as a police services board, as members of the media, how do we define whether this is actually working uh, or not, right? And so I know I've had, and Chief, I'm going to pass it over to you in terms of how, uh, the discussions that we've had about metrics and how do we actually define and measure that there? Well, before we get that, okay. I, I, I want to ask about both, uh, both the lab and the training yeah. center. Uh, why were those things needed to be are things that needed to be done in this portion of the budget cycle? Then we can talk yeah. about metrics in a second, Chief. So explain those two. Well, it's, a qu- it's a question yeah. I asked. I've, yeah, I've asked him this sure question right during yeah. the board meetings, right? So yeah. Thanks, Craig. Uh, this is a question that uh, a lot of Londoners are asking. It's a fair. It's mm-hmm. a fair question. So help, I'll, I'll try and paint the picture for you. So as a as a chief, I'm not the expert in every aspect of policing. I have great leaders, great people that I rely upon. No chief knows everything. Informing this budget, we looked at risk. I want to know the biggest risk to the organization, the biggest risk to the community. I want to hear from my members, all of them, and I want to hear from the community what's important to them. And then I need to look at exactly what's happening and do our best to predict trends and to make the city safe. So I can tell you, in March, two of our officers, March of last year, two of our officers were shot. Mm -hmm. They were shot protecting this is on, this on Kipps Lane and a part right. building on Kipps Lane right? right we 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 know that I can tell you and that was before I got here I yep. came here in June of last year one month while I'm here an individual goes on a violent rampage victimizes this community shoots an innocent person in the face this is an this is an individual in a residential neighborhood all right our frontline officers are not equipped to deal with active, violent individuals like this. We are putting our officers at risk. They do not have the required expertise training for this. That requires a different level of training. Having said that, our frontline officers go to work every single day preparing to deal with cases like this until our tactical team can assist. Our tactical team responded because our frontline needed them. This individual went into people's homes. He took over a home with a firearm. Our officers got there with the lav. Our our tactical officers responded with the lav. That lav acts as appropriate cover for our officers to engage. We need to contain that individual who we already know has shot and potentially at the time killed an innocent person. We have to contain that. This is a residential neighborhood I can tell you unfortunately our officers had to engage that individual who engaged our officers who had the lab as cover and thankfully nobody else was injured unfortunately our officers had to shoot that individual now my officers have to go through months of stress being criticized by the SIU investigations, looking at into wrongdoing when they're trying to do the best they can. If that individual went out the back door, now the officers back there, they don't have the appropriate cover. They don't have a second lab to contain that individual. When you're looking at, when you're looking at incidences, you need two minimum of two areas of containment right? Minimum. So I'll use this to help you understand. On on Richmond Street, if there's an individual, an armed individual in a a car, he's Mm -hmm. on our streets, Mm -hmm. right? He's in our car, he's in a car, 
We know he's a risk to public safety. Our officers have to engage and stop that threat. If you only have one lav as a point of cover and containment in, in that vehicle, in that car with a suspect, if the suspect decides to reverse and you don't have a, you don't have a light armored vehicle to protect our officers and to contain that individual, that individual now continues to be in the community and potentially harm other people. You need a minimum of two areas of containment. I will also say this, our officers, when the light armored vehicle is required, that is, there's no, there's no giving. If it's required, our officers need it. It's mm-hmm. only deployed during crisis situations. Or situations. So it's only a few times a year, but but still, when it's, it's it's deployed, it's needed. I understand the point. So, well, I'll get I'll get to that in yeah. a second. If the ve- if the vehicle that is keeping our officers safe and the community safe, if it is due for repair maintenance, and we only have one, we're in big trouble. Mm-hmm. We are in big trouble, and there's this narrative that. We're not using it. I can tell you in February already, we've deployed it five times. Five times. Five times in February. In January of this year, it's been deployed 10 times. So I don't know where this narrative is is coming, but I can tell you right now, five times this month so far, 10 times in January. And I already stated, I need to plan and I need to make sure this city is growing tremendously. This light armored vehicle is being asked towards the tail end of the multi-year budget in line with the growth of the city. We have to be, we cannot think we are a small city anymore. We Mm -hmm. can't. I cannot afford to put my officers out there to jeopardize their safety and their family because I can tell you we've had the most gun seizures in the last three years than ever before. We know that. We know that in the last couple years, Police officers across Canada have been murdered more than any other year. So as we talk about the rise in gun seizures in this city alone, the rise in um, critical incidents that our officers have to deal with, I certainly do not want to go through a situation where we require a light armored vehicle and we don't have it because why? Because one is being utilized Mm-hmm. In, a, in a situation and it requires the deployment in, a, in, the, in another area of the city. Like we're not thinking about that. The community, I understand the reservations, but as a police chief, my job is to make sure my members have the right equipment training to do their job properly and safely. And, and to that point, that just to go back to the beginning of my answer, mm-hmm. that's exactly what I was saying it's easy and it's and i understand why people look at it just from a purely from a budget line perspective and say 480,000 for a lab mm-hmm. right but but we can't look at the police budget purely in that specific through that specific lens of just money expense there are operational considerations that the chief just uh, articulated right there right so so there's a compelling reason as to why we need the lav right but if you're looking at it without that contextual uh background without that operational details without that kind of scenario and those numbers talking about 10 in january and 5 in february and all that like i get where people are coming from when they ask about the lav but that's that's and then you can multiply that time and time and time again throughout the budget about other kind of expenditures where Mm -hmm. there's an operational need there's an operational justification for everything in that budget uh, quickly, the training center. And this is for either of you, $24 million. It's shared with London Fire. Yeah. I understand that. 
Uh, however, uh, is this something that needed to happen now in the same budget cycle where we're hiring all these officers and catching up? Why the training center now? So I can tell you that this training, joint training facility, 25 years ago, it was brought before city council. Okay. 25 years ago. This was a need identified 25 years ago. It's 2024 now. We needed it back then. If we don't bring it forward now, when? When is the right time? Especially when the city is growing tremendously. And remember, for me as the police chief, I can appreciate, I can appreciate everything that's happening in this city. And I can tell you, everybody needs money. All these organizations yep. need money. No question about it. But my job here is to make sure that this city is safe. That is my job. And what other people are not thinking about is my responsibilities legislatively wise. So the training facility is not just the police facility. It is for fire. Fire need this training facility as well. As our city continues to grow, different challenges we need to anticipate and we need to plan for. Nobody's planning for high-density policing, Craig. Nobody's mm -hmm. planning for that. We're talking about, you know, the, the profession of policing is the most criticized profession ever, hands down. It is, it is the most criticized. And I can tell you, training constantly is at the end of it. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do it? Well, it's a lack of training. It's the lack of investment that we've invested in training. It's the lack of ability for us to train our officers, lack of resources, all of it. We have to move in to the future. And I'll tell you this training facility, if we had it built and up and running even 10 years ago, we wouldn't be here today. We need it now. The training facility needs to be in place now because it's not even up and running, Craig. Mm -hmm. This multi-year budget for this cycle, it won't be up and running to the end of the multi-year budget. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. let's so, put this so out like, to the it, next it, budget. It doesn't just magically open as soon as you no. spend the money. It takes years to build. It I takes years that. to yeah. build. Like we have to think about that. And I appreciate people saying, hey, now is not the right time. But I'll tell you, I've dealt with a lot of victims throughout my career. A lot of victims. And all these victims who were, who had family members murdered, who had family members severely hurt from be involved with critical incidences where there's armed barricaded situations or hostage situations, I can tell you for the amount that it would cost for the lab, they wouldn't bat an eye. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. Uh, Ali, go ahead. And no, I, I know, I know we're wrapping questions. up. Yeah, I, yeah. I know. I, I know, I know I you guys, you guys got to go, but yeah, you, you, you finish yours. Yeah. Uh, so, and I don't know if we're at the end of the interview or not. No, Craig, we, right? we, we, I got as much time as you guys Okay, have, we are. I'm yeah, good, yeah. right? So, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. I'm fine. I, it, but but I guess it kind of goes to the original part of your question. You're, 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 you had a two-part question, yeah. right? Because you were also talking about finite resources as well, right? And how it's the police request against other no. people coming to city council saying, yeah. hey, well, we need That's not on your, your plate or, or the chief's plate. I understand that. Right. Yep. Right. And and, and that's and that's it. And so I don't begrudge anybody for, for going, uh, actually, not not only do I not begrudge them, I would encourage every board or every organization or every agency to go and say, hey, this is what we need, uh, right? So whether it's transit or whether it's library or whether it's the arts council or whoever it is, mm -hmm. right? You make your pitch and you send it to city council and then they make the decision, that's yeah. right. So, so, but what I can tell you with regards to this police budget is this current ask 
is a reflection of what I believe and what the members of the board to believe, what has been chronic underfunding of the police for, in London, for not just years, but you could say decades. Oh, right? and I think that's very clear to see. And right. I, I think that's, that there's very, it's very easy to put that on a graph and say, hey, look what London spends on policing. Look whatever else spends on right. policing. We're behind. Well, wait, wait, I and, don't reject that and, for a second. And, no. and, and past boards and past councils, I think, and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here, but I've almost taken a sense of pride of taking a minimalist approach when it came to um, uh, you know, funding. And so now we're dealing with the impact of that years later. So uh, when when Chief talks about councils from 20 years ago and training center, yeah, well, it's because 20 years ago, they said, well, let's push it to the next cycle. All right, then four years after, let's push it to the next cycle. And the next, well, hey, it's, it's five cycles later and 25 years later, and now this is where we're at. So mm -hmm. yes, I understand it's a big number. Yes, I understand that uh, it comes at a time where others are also saying, we need, we need, we need as well. But I'm telling you right now, it's a byproduct of chronic underfunding of the police service so that we have to rectify what have been historic wrongs to get this right. And this isn't something that's going to, it's not like, okay, well, they do it now and they're going to come with another, you know, $672 million. It, it just, it's something that needs to be done and rectified right now. I uh, want to ask you a couple quick uh, rapid fire ones, Chief Trung, before you wrap up here. First of all, uh, how often do London police have to respond to calls that are not necessarily appropriate 911 calls and 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 is there anything that could be streamlined as far as when people call 911 and determining okay the police have to go to this and not have to go to that how how does that work from an operations perspective yeah that's something that we're looking at okay. Craig and uh you know listen I, I can tell you I've, I've been here since June of last year for the last several months all things have been budget yeah <laughs> all things have been budget yeah. um I really, really want to get this budget process through because there's yep. so much work to do because now we can focus on the priorities and making sure that the citizens get what they're asking for. Right. I, I need to focus on that. And this is all part of it, making sure that we're responding to the calls and the requests that require the police versus other ways or alternative responses mm -hmm. to that. Is there a public education campaign surrounding when you should and shouldn't call 911? Is that something that's on the radar here? Has that been discussed? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And and I can tell you, um, our people are excited. Our frontline, and I've heard you say it before, I've heard the community say it, the morale of the London Police Service mm -hmm. has needs needs a lot of help. Yep. Has been very I've low. I've heard from officers myself, both before and after you took over. Yep. That's right. And... I can tell you there is a buzz right now in our organization with the support of this police services board, with the support of city council. And what we all, all hear, we hear a lot of, you know, um, individuals and groups out there that, that want to take away from the police budget. But just as important, we hear a lot of support mm -hmm. for this police budget. I know you do. We I've hear a lot. Yep. So... I'm really excited. The members in our organization are really excited because they feel this is a time where the community is truly supporting them. So with that involves more community engagement, right? More community engagement, more opportunities for us to be transparent and open. When you're talking about reporting um, to the community or being transparent, this will allow us to provide more quarterly reports and more data accessible to the community. We want to get it out. We want to make sure everybody understands what's going on here. Mm -hmm. 
You mentioned public support. This question's for both of you. Uh, early on in this budget process, maybe not necessarily early on from the from from your perspectives, but within the public perspective, the London Police Association statement that uh, uh, said that uh, councillors had not listened to a radical defund the police zealots. Do you believe that poisoned the well for the conversation surrounding this police budget? Do you think that was needlessly combative? Do you wish that's something that didn't happen? I'm trying not to give you kind of a canned political yeah. response here, right? Yeah, so no, so, so um, I think there's a lot of passion out there, mm-hmm. right, uh, across the spectrum. So whether it's the London Police Association uh, or whether it's people that are advocating for funding on other um, you know, other areas uh, uh, of need. I think there's a lot of passion out there, and I think that's reflected in sometimes the rhetoric that's being used out there, right? So, so people that say, you know, defund the police. I've even seen, I've read something last week, Craig, that said we should abolish the police. We yeah. should abolish the police, get rid of all of the police, take all the funding and move it elsewhere, right? Yeah, that's an unserious position. No, right, yeah. right. But, but what I'm saying is, yeah. so some of the rhetoric on both ends of the spectrum, um, uh, uh, while I support peace, people's passion and whether I support, right, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to really engage in, in kind of getting into the minutiae of that. All, all I, what I can talk to about is being kind of a subject matter expert as on behalf of the police services board is we've identified what we need, right? We put it out there. We did the public consultation process and it was unanimously supported by this board, right? Seven members, the mayor, two city councillors, uh, right. And then uh, uh, four others. Right. Yep. Me and, and my other my non-politician uh, 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 people on the board there. So non-politician. When I say Nancy Brands going for former yeah. city council, Megan, former city council. Right. So um, so so all of that to say, whether whether regardless of where, where the passion and the rhetoric is coming from, I, I don't want to get distracted by 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 sometimes the use of language on, on the spectrum there. This is the budget that we've put forward. This is the budget that we absolutely need. We This is the budget that the city of London needs. It, it's what we need to make the city safe now. And uh, we council has a big decision later this week, yeah. uh, Craig, like they really do. I know. Mm-hmm. You know, it's gone through committee, but they really have a big decision to make right here because I think what is decided later this week will have a generational impact on the safety and security of this city. And uh, I would implore um, the councillors to uh, uh, to do the right thing and, and support this budget. Uh, second last question, Chief, unless you want to add something. To let that. me let me yep. add to that because sure. you, um, yep. you know, I'll say this. The London Police Association are a fantastic group of leaders. Their job is to advocate for their membership. That's their job. They are fully member focused. And that's what you want mm-hmm. in an association. And I can tell you, I had not met them until I came here. They're passionate, they care, they advocate for their membership. As the chief, I'm the same way. I care about our members, I care about the organization, but the difference is what I have to always put in my decision-making tree is the responsibility that we have to the community. Not that they don't have it, but their primary focus is the membership. My focus, membership and community, the responsibilities there that I hold uh, as the chief of police. During this whole budget process, this budget is not for me, it's not for the chair, it's for the organization and for the community. So we hadn't seen the association, the association support, or we not that we didn't have it, but we I hadn't seen it. The first time I've seen it was a Twitter post and what you're talking about, mm-hmm. 
a Twitter post mm-hmm. or a, an X post. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the first time I saw yeah. it. And when I saw it, I'm like, wow, thank you. So I thank the association for this, for supporting the budget, for supporting the police budget and the ask. And that's what I thank them for. I The association is completely independent of the chief. One thing I have with the association, I respect what they're doing. I like to think that they respect what, I, what I'm doing. We're going to disagree on many different fronts, but we have a mutual respect and an understanding of both of our positions. I thank them for supporting the police mm. budget. I don't control what they say or what they think. And it's not, by the way, to, to, to yeah. build on that point, it's the police association is, uh, you know, the board is also very thankful for their support of this. Mm-hmm. But it's not just the police association. It's not just members. Of the, like we had a we had a, a media availability yep. thing at, uh, what was it, a couple of weeks ago. We had the heads of Fanshawe, Western and Western Fanshawe and, and L- yep. LHSC and St. Joe's and TVDSB and, and London District Catholic, right? So there's widespread support for this budget right across the community, whether it's the police association or public sector institutions or the business owners or the individuals. I'm actually enthralled, Craig with the level of support that we've received. We, we I was under no illusion that when you're putting forward a $672 million budget ask that there's going, I, like I knew there was going to be yeah. some pushback and some opposition, uh, but it's really actually been quite heartwarming to see the degree and the scope of support that we've had right across this thing. So, uh, and I know people have paid attention and, and the city council has been paying attention as well. So, uh, Chief, on sexual assault cases, obviously London uh, has been a hot... Uh uh, it's, it's been a hot topic in this community, not just because of the Hockey Canada thing, but the unfounded story from a few years ago. This is all stuff that happened before you arrived. Nonetheless, this budget being approved as is, or at least some of these officers coming in, will that help the way that London police investigate sexual assault cases? 100%, Craig. You know what's really exciting for me? What's really exciting for me um, is that you will have, with this budget, you will have 26... 26 officers dedicated and assigned to investigations right at the hop mm-hmm. that involve sexual violence, violence against women, including intimate partner violence. We don't have that right now. This budget is going to give us 24-hour support. So we're not going to see as many of those unfounded is what we're hoping to get out of this. Well, look, I'll, I'll say this. The board has asked for more information. And I'm I and I'm excited for March to make sure that the board is fully informed. Mm-hmm. So, without with respecting the board and respecting the information that they're asking, I will say this to you: unfounded. There are reasons. So the the question that has come up is: two hundred plus investigations. How come charges weren't mm-hmm. laid? That was the question, yeah. right? The reality is what you're going to see is sometimes we don't lay charges because the victim, victims and the survivors, mm-hmm. they don't want to go through yep. court. They do not want to go through Absolutely. the criminal process and, 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 and the judicial system. Unfortunately, the judicial system is inherently so difficult for victims of sexual violence. So... We have to take that into account. Of course. Right? I think it's the ones where people wanted to go through and we're told, ah, there isn't a lot here. Well, those are, those are the ones. That's a great, yeah. that's, 
That's That'll a be great a question, question we have yeah, uh, yeah. as a board. Like that's mm-hmm. that's why this was raised, and these are the questions yep. that we want. So. But I only raise this to you because mm-hmm. you know one thing I've one thing I've realized: this community is a fantastic community. London is an awesome community. Yeah, Everybody like is so engaged, mm-hmm. right? I I honestly really really love this community, but I can tell you, if you pay attention only to certain media outlets or certain forms of social media, if you only pay attention to that, sometimes the information is not always accurate or not fully um, communicated properly, right? So you'll see more, and I'm respecting the board's ask. They want more information, and we're gonna give them the information that they're asking. Uh, Last question, Chief, before we wrap up, and I'll ask the same question to Ali. Uh, how will Londoners know a year from now, two years from now, three years from now that London police and policing in this community is better if this budget ask is approved? Because people may be wondering, why didn't I get bus route X? Why didn't, why did my library branch close? And I, I, what, what are they going to get in exchange for those things? And how will policing in your estimation improve for, uh, indigenous communities in London and communities of color in London as part of this as well? Either of you guys. I, 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 I want the answer to this to, one from both To be honest with you, Craig, it's probably going to be a two-part answer, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's it's so Chief, uh, we'll tag team on this one here. Uh, yeah, it's it's metrics, right? That's I talked about it earlier. Um, and I know the Chief will talk about some some of the things, initiatives that they will talk about in terms of openness and transparency and, and kind of those measurable metrics. But uh, we're going to have uh, annually, uh, if actually, to be honest with the board, we're going to do it more regularly, but we're going to be asking for updates. Uh, we're going to be asked for, for data. We're going to be asked, uh, you know, uh, what are response times? What's the queue at? We're, we're right to find out whether um, uh, these metrics are actually demonstrating that there has been a demonstrable uh uh, uh, efficiencies being implemented there. So whether we're talking about dashboards on our website or we're talking about um, uh, other kind of initiatives, Chief, that you can t- you can talk about some of the things that the Chief will be doing over the course of the next one, two, three, four years, uh, not just for the benefit of the board, but the, for the benefit of uh, City Council as well as the City of London so that they can get real live data on the website with regards to certain things. But Chief, I'll tag it over to you because I know you can get into the minutia more than I can. Sure. Mm-hmm. You're going to see for the first time ever, the police chief go to city council yearly and report to the mayor and city council on the state of safety of the city. That's that never been done. fascinating to me, and I, I like that. That nope. has never been done, and I will do that. I will do that every year. You'll also see, and the citizens will also see, an opportunity for further engagement. You're... You, you may or may not have seen it. I don't know if you follow what we're doing all the time, Craig, but little little things that may not be important to some people, but are so important to some communities. Halloween, we opened up our doors for the kids mm-hmm. and the families in the area. That's never been done. Christmas time, we did the same. That's never been done. We are moving towards fully engaging with the community as best we can. Mm-hmm. You're going to see quarterly reports and not just reports, you're gonna see efficient and clear reports for our average citizens to understand the metrics. They're going to see our actual response times, the progress that we're making. They're going to see the amount of gun seizures. They're going to see the amount of arrests. We wanna report this out. And traditionally, we report it out once a year through our annual report. 
but you're going to see a level of transparency that you've never seen before. You're going to see much more transparency and we're going to see additional information because numbers only tell a certain thing, but we want to paint the whole story of what these numbers represent mm -hmm. and what they mean. And we want to make sure that everyone has access to it. And in addition to that, openness and availability, Craig. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll speak for the chief and myself, but we've tried to make ourselves as open and available as, as possible. Yep. I don't know what past boards have done and past chiefs have done. I, I, mm -hmm. I, it's not that I don't care, but um, uh, chief and I have tried to be as open and as available to members of the media. Mm -hmm. uh, we've done technical briefings at, at um, you know, police headquarters and invited members of the media to come. Uh, we have tried to be, uh, I mean, it's Sunday. What time is it? Sunday at 1240, yeah. right? Where are, we, where are we standing right now? Craig, hanging right? out with me. I'm hanging out with you. Sunday <laughs> Sunday at 1240 p.m., right? So uh, so uh, it's, it's not just about the metrics. It's not just about the data. It is those things, right? But it's also having the ability and access to ask the questions and get the answers in real time, whether it's members of the media or to the chief's point, doing an annual state of mm -hmm. safety address at city council, plus uh, being always open and available to the board so that we can exercise our civilian function, oversight function there. So you add all of that stuff together, um, get this budget passed, hopefully at the end of the week, and you're going to start seeing changes in the city happen very, very soon to make this city safe now. What about the way minority communities are pleased? I wanted to get to that too, yeah. but you, you finish your thought before I do. Yeah, I was just going to say, and this will touch, touch on it, Craig. I can tell you that there's been a lot of groups in this in this city, in this community, that the police have never connected with. Yep. They yep. have never connected with. And that has been a priority yeah. for- I, I know it's been going on since you got here, and I've talked to a few people from various uh, minority groups in the city yep. who have come in and chatted with uh, you and your officers about sort of what goes on in the community. So I know that's going on. Yeah, so yeah. I'm excited for that. And, and our people, are the leadership team that I have in place is a fantastic leadership mm -hmm. team. We have leaders by rank and leaders that don't have rank. We have phenomenal people in our organization that want to do all these pieces of policing. But if I don't build the infrastructure and make sure that they have an opportunity to do that, the community suffers and so does our officers sure. suffer. So you will see within this budget, you will see more partnerships, you will see more community engagement, and you will see outreach and the ability for us to build and strengthen trust. No police service is perfect. No police chief is perfect. What I can tell you, what you can expect is that you're going to expect, you can see that I will make mistakes, our organization will make mistakes, but I will tell you without a doubt, and the people who know our people and know me, it's coming from a good place. You're going to see this city connect with the police like they've never connected before. I truly feel it. I truly mean that. I know this city is not only going to be safe, safer, they're going to feel safer. And, and I'll say one last thing on, sure. on that point there. And then we'll wrap up. Uh, one of my first substantive conversations I had with Chief, I don't even know if you were officially hired at that point, to be honest with you, Chief, was about diversity within the ranks of the London Police Service and what um, his his ideas and his vision for that. Uh, I, I'm a firm believer that we can't truly claim to have community policing until and unless the police service reflects the community that it serves. And so one of the things that we've talked about, we being the board, uh, is 
taking proactive measures to diversify uh, the membership within the London Police Service so that the service reflects the community. And so uh, that's something that in addition to all these conversations we're having about budget, in addition to talking about training centers and labs and more officers, well, when we talk about more officers, it's also trying to go out into the community, go to different, um, you know, uh, uh, ethnic and cultural communities that have historically not seen themselves reflected in yep. the, the police and being taking a more proactive approach to say, okay, hey, have you considered a career in policing? Have you considered, right? Because a lot of these people, and I come from a region, like I was, even though I was born <laughs> born in London, but my ancestral, uh, when my parents were born, where uh, we talk about trust of policing, that's something that doesn't exist in a lot, a lot of part of the world, right? And mm-hmm. so when you come, you immigrate to, this country, or you come to Ontario, or you come to London, sometimes the history of your relationship with the police would lend a hesitancy to say, well, this is something sure. that I want to be, right? So it's about when we talk about trust between policing and the community, we're not just talking about it in the context of just response times or trust that the police are doing their job, but it's also trust that um, the police service reflects the community that it serves. And you, in order to do that, you have to go out into the community, attract those people, bring them into the service. And then, then, and then I would respectfully argue then, and only then can you truly claim to have community policing because, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's not just policing, by the way, it's policing, it's education. It's a whole host of other sectors where, uh, we still have a lot of, we, we're doing a good job, but we have, um, we have a lot of work still to do on that front. Can I just add to that? Absolutely. Right? You know, the London Police Service is beyond 100 years old, okay? Yep. And we've, we've heard from the community, our organization is not reflective of the community that we serve. We know that. Mm-hmm. Our organization, our members, we are close to closer to 90% Caucasian than we are um, diverse. Mm-hmm. Now, that would be okay if we were in a community that was 90% Caucasian. Because legislatively wise, legislatively wise, the principles of the legislation that are guiding us, we have to be reflective of the community we serve. And to your point, absolutely, we are not reflective of the community we serve. But for so many decades and so many years, we're almost at 90% Caucasian. I want you to know, and I want your listeners to know, that we can't change that overnight. It is going to take years and years and years and years and you're gonna need some more officers you're gonna need more officers <laughs> yes. it's going to take time exactly. and and sometimes organizations um you know face many challenges when they try and do it way too quickly without a proper plan right and they yep. try to they try to do it too quickly without a plan there's a lot of challenges and issues that come with that for me i recognize the issues and it's going to take time. So that doesn't mean you're going to see every single person we hire for the next you know, five years or four years as diverse. You won't see that. You're going to see it take time. There are challenges. There are trusts that need to be built within communities that, that would never look at policing. There's a lot of work to be done. But I just want to make sure that you know this is going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight, but we have to start somewhere and we have to start every single day with it. 
Uh, I think that's uh, as good a spot to leave it as any, unless either of you guys have something else you want to add. But I think this has been a fascinating conversation. I thank you both for doing it here on a Sunday. I did not think it was going to be an hour, but this has been really good. And I think it's going to be very informative for the community. So thank you both of you for doing this. Thanks, Craig. Appreciate it. Thank you for having us, Craig. That's uh, Ty Trong, the chief of London Police, and Ali Jabbar, the chair of the London Police Services Board, joining us here on the Craig Needles podcast, which, of course, is powered by our friends over at Downtown London and at the Covent Garden Market. You can find us at londonnewstoday.ca, classicrock981.com, and wherever you get your podcasts. The Craig Needles Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.